Hey, Park Hill, how's everybody doing? We're okay? Yeah, um, I'm gonna ask right from the get-go because I, I'm kind of interactive this way. It's okay if I kind of break the fourth wall interaction. That's okay? Yes, good, that's what I wanna hear. Back and forth, back and forth. It's very helpful for me as a communicator. As Evan uh, mentioned, Brittany and I, my wife, she's up here, my much more lovely half, sitting up here in the front. Uh, we, we've been a part of the story of your guys' church from the early days. Uh, we pastor at the, at the Sending Church, and we came out here in the early days for the prayer time and walked around the city, prayed over the city, and we are now currently sitting on the board. And it is a complete honor and privilege to do that. Park Hill, it has a kind of a, a soft spot in our heart. We just love you guys because this is an incredible community, and you guys are doing an incredible work in the incredible city. So there's a lot of good stuff happening here, and we feel honored to be a part of it. Um, Evan asked when, when we were kind of talking about this and he reached out, hey, what, what do you think about teaching that weekend? Uh, he may he kind of throw out a phrase, you could come and tell a little bit more about your guys' story and then kind of teach a message about that faraway family. You're, you're that family that's out there that, that's kind of cheering us on. And when he said those words, our faraway family, one verse just kind of popped into my mind really quickly. Uh, one book, one letter actually, and it's First Thessalonians. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and flip open to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to take a look at the first kind of eight uh, verses of chapter one. And uh, Thessalonians is just this great little letter written by the Apostle Paul. Really, they think it's like one of his earliest letters. And, and he's, he's talking to this church that he deeply loves, a church that he helped kind of kickstart. And he's sending an encouragement to them. Uh, and he comes from a real pastoral heart. So I want to look at these eight verses. We kind of have this thing that we do uh, up north uh, at Jesus Church where we stand with the reading of the word. If you guys okay with that, I get you to stand up to your feet, a little bit of Christian calisthenics, get the knees, blood flowing. There we go. And then I'll read it to us, or read it out over us. Here we go. First Thessalonians 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God and our Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Wow, what an amazing declaration. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Lord, we pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds. Would you focus us, our lives, around your purposes? Help us to become more like Jesus. To care about the things that he cares about. To, to move away from the things that he doesn't care about. 
We just thank you, Father, for these words that you gave to this church so many years ago. And right now we pray that you would just bring them alive in our lives today. Would you awaken us, Lord Jesus, to you, to your truth, and move powerfully in our hearts. Be our teacher. We want to hear from you today. We love you so much, and this is all for you and about you, and in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. It was like um, maybe 2008, Brittany and I and our four kids, we had just moved to Golden Hill. Any, anybody familiar with Golden Hill? Any of that area? Golden Hill area? Yeah. See, this is one of those points where if you're at Golden Hill, you should be interacting with me right now. That's right. Okay. Yeah, we had moved to Golden Hill from Glasgow, Scotland. And uh, from living in this, like, really beautiful 120-year-old gorgeous tenement flat in kind of the west side of, of uh, Glasgow's downtown area into, like, this itsy-bitsy, super cute but super sketchy craftsman shed. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. Just off the downtown, we literally used to, like, be able to read the jets as they were, like, flying over. It's like oh, it looks like our parents are flying in. We should go, you know, kind of thing. Super, yeah, I know you're with me. Um, anyways, it was very close. And we were readapting to, to kind of from this like walking culture, this European walking culture into what felt like a really high-paced, everybody's driving everywhere kind of culture. And, and it was tough. We were like pasty white, in, in a way that only, only Scotland can produce. It like sucks everything, every ounce of color out of your skin. And, and, and we had come from this walking culture and the teachers were kept telling us like, you gotta put more suntan lotion on, you gotta put more suntan lotion on. And so, but the fruit of it was that we were basically just like six walking tomatoes. Um, always burned, always like feeling overheated because our kids were surviving literally San Diego's like hottest fall in decades. And, and, and we were just in this uncomfortable place. The ministry that we'd come to be a part of as missionaries was wrestling off the ground. It was, it was a kind of a tough situation. And we just felt so out of place, so uncomfortable, so confused. I, I remember like going out for a long walk one day. I was just like kind of at the end of my rope and I needed to spend some time talking to God. Any walkers out there? Like to go for a walk, process with God, get the gears to, yeah, that's me. So I just sort of started following my feet. And honestly, I didn't, I didn't no direction. I didn't know where I was going. I found myself suddenly at like Petco. And then I was like walking down like harbor. I came up through Little Italy, back up into the park. And I went outside into North Park and I got on El Cajon and I just kept walking. And that road goes for a long ways. I found myself suddenly like at Costco. You guys know the geography better than I do. I mean, it's hours of just like me walking and processing, wrestling with God. Any, anybody wrestle with God? After several hours, God in his grace, he spoke to me. I heard that kind of that quiet voice, one simple question. Why are you here? Why am I here? Why am I here, God? Because you told me to come here. You, you called our family to leave Scotland and come here. What do you mean, why am I here? And what proceeded was like this really long walking conversation slash 
hissy fit. Anybody out there do that with God ever? Yeah, again, wrestling, confused, full of emotion around like why God would even ask me this question. Why am I here, Lord? You, You called me to be here. When I was finally done, like stomping my feet, the inside of me started to quiet and I heard the question again. Why are you here? God repeated himself. And as a basic practice and principle, whenever I'm praying, whenever I'm with God and I encounter a question more than once, I typically slow down and start paying closer attention. If God is having to repeat himself, then I should probably listen. So I stopped and I looked around and I was like, God, what, what do you mean? Like, why am I here at, on like the corner of El Cajon and wherever this place is? No, I, I don't get it, God. What, why are you asking me why I'm here? Well, thank goodness, God is so patient with us. I remember kind of in that moment, sitting in that space, walking down that road, and suddenly like these stories from the scripture started pelting me like little stones. I recalled like Moses standing at the Red Sea, you know, he's like got the the sea to his back and like Pharaoh's army's bearing down on him. He's crying out to God like, God, where are you? Come save us. And God's like, Moses, like, why are you here? Take the staff in your hand and like, like walk out into the sea. Lead my people. I imagine Moses is like, wait, God, what do you mean why am I? Like nobody's ever done that before. That, like, walking through water thing, that's not a thing. I was like, why are you here? Go. Go in the power that I've given you. I remembered Elijah up on the mountain after his confrontation with the prophets of Baal, and he's like, he's like wrestling with God alone in his discouragement and his depression, and God's simple, quiet question to him, like, why are you here, Elijah? Why are you here? Like, go on. Go, go anoint those kings. Go call that next generation. Go do the work that I've called you to. Why, why are you here? Similarly, I, I, I imagine this moment with Jesus and his disciples. It's a little bit different, but like they're, they're, they're all confused and panicked, and they're standing in front of them. They got a couple fish and a couple loaves, and they're like, what are we going to do with all these people? And Jesus, in another kind of way, asks, like, why are you here, guys? You've seen the work. You give them something to eat. You, you know what this is all about. You do the work. Why are you here? You know, I, I'm not sure what it was about those early sermons that Paul spoke to the Thessalonians, but they must have been fire. Because he writes that when the good news came, when he spoke to them, it was more than just words. There was like the power of the Holy Spirit. There, there was his presence moving in and amongst the people. There was a sense of conviction and motivation that transformed everybody who was listening. There was something powerful that happened. We know from like Acts 17 that Paul and Silas has spent about a month or so with the Thessalonians. So maybe, maybe it was their shared life together. Maybe it was that time spent with them and, and mulling things over and processing with them. They, they certainly modeled something very different, very, very different that this, new, this newborn church plant took with them, a community that was, according to the scriptures, suffering severely And it set them in a trajectory that was almost unexplainable. It was amazing. 
Only a short time later, the church in Thessalonia, it would become a workhorse for the gospel of Jesus, transforming not only their city, but the entire region around them, Macedonia and Achaia, and everybody who would listen. Their message went out. This young Thessalonian church that Paul like, loved dearly, they knew who they were serving, and they knew why they were there. They knew. And, and as a result, the gospel, it spread like wildfire. In verse 2, Paul like, launches into this like, hyperbolic love fest, declaring that he's always thanking God, like all the time thanking God for this church. He, he just loves them so dearly. And, and, and he's praying for every single one of them as if he kind of remembers each of their faces like logged in, their mind, logged in his mind. Like, oh yeah, I remember this person. I'm praying for them. And then he continually prays. He never stops, always thanking for all of the people, all of the time. Now, I will say this. Brittany and I, we, we do pray for Park Hill. We love this place. And, and we genuinely care for your future and care for the work that God is doing down here. But this, this commitment, this kind of prayer that Paul is talking about, it's, it's radical. It's verging on obsession. And as I consider in my life, who gets these kinds of prayers, that list, this kind of devotion, that list is pretty short. I mean, it's like, it's Brittany, my, my wife, and, and my kids, maybe a few others. Paul has a commitment and love for this church that can only be described as familial, like what Evan was saying early on, just a family. He loves these people like, like a parent, like a brother in Christ. He cares for them. And, and his, his heart is committed to their flourishing and the gospel message he left with them. It created some sort of like powerful outflow that he called their work or labor. So what was it about their work? What was it about their labor? Well, Paul, he, he labels like three big qualities, three kind of distinctives that set the Thessalonians' response completely apart from other churches that he had planted. The first one was their work was produced by faith. By faith. The original Greek word there is this word pistis, and it, it carries with it kind of the idea of like faithfulness or reliability. So when our work is produced by faith, it points at the reliability or the faithfulness of the person or the thing that we're trusting in. So later, that when, when the author of Hebrews tells us that faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance in what we do not see, our work in Jesus begins to have a bit of an unexplainability to it. You guys tracking? You know what I'm saying? An unex maybe an analogy would be helpful at this point. I'm going to break that wall again. Here we go. I'm pulling up a chair. I've been told by Jake that I can stand on these chairs, so if I come crashing down, I love you, sweetie. Okay. So, chair analogy. Here we go. Now, if I stand up on this chair, whoa, there is a bounce in this chair. If I stand up on this chair, I'm committing myself to saying that there's a stability here. Like, I can rest on this chair. And you guys can all, well, up here in the front row, you can see me standing on the chair. But you get past that into, like, the next layers. For the rest of y'all, you just think I just became a lot taller, Right? I mean, you can't see the chair. And in many ways, this is kind of the visual for us. Like, 
I'm trusting myself with the stability of this chair so that everyone around me is going like, oh yeah, he's entrusted himself to the stability of that thing that we can see. But for those of you out there, it's like I'm entrusting myself with something that you can't see. I've entrusted my stability to something that is, is invisible to you. And that's kind of what Paul is pointing at when he's talking to the Thessalonians. I'm going to get off the chair now. Yeah. It's like, it's like he's saying, look, there's this unexplainable stability in your life. It, it, it points at the reliability and the faithfulness of the invisible God that you serve. It's a pattern of life that points at the divine. And people around them were left wondering because they couldn't see the chair, right? They, they were like the back row folks. They, they're like, I can't, I can't see what's doing that in your life. And they're asking the question, like, how are they doing that? Like, where's their stability coming from? What a powerful idea for us to consider. Do our lives show evidence of the faithful, reliable presence of God? Do people in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, they, they, do they look at us and see us standing up amidst our difficulty with nothing holding us up except for the invisible hand of our maker and the community around that, that he has created as we walk through our pain, wrestling forward, just like the Thessalonians were doing in severe suffering with seemingly nothing holding us up? Do people wonder... How are they doing that? What, what was so powerful about the, the testimony and work of the Thessalonians' faith in Jesus was that their lives pointed to the faithful reliability of the invisible loving Father. But there was more. Second, their labor was prompted by love. Now, the concept and emotion of love, it carries all sorts of complexity in our day and age. And, and we could probably do, you could probably do an entire sermon series just on love for sure. But I want to keep today a little tidy. So, so I want to focus on kind of love's pinnacle. Jesus tells us in John 15 that there is no greater expression of love than to lay down your life for your friends. The epicenter of biblical love is sacrifice. Like, like not, not warm fuzzies, not quality time, not like the five love languages, not sex, not even chocolate. No, the epicenter of, of biblical love is sacrifice. It's, it's dying, dying to ourselves. The Thessalonians' labor was motivated by love. Like, love for Paul and Silas, for sure, and for each other, uh, and for their broader community, that was for sure there. But at its center was their love for Jesus. It was this love that kind of motivated and, and, and drove them and moved them forward. And ultimately, it was that love for Jesus that overflowed into their communities around them. There's something about wholehearted love that fires up death to self. It's like when our hearts find something big enough to give themselves to, we start to forget secondary things, however important they might be. And we begin to die to ourselves. Now, of course, this can be abused and it can be taken advantage of, but there are times in our lives when love moves us to override our own well-being, to lay down 
our lives. Any new parents in the room? Newish parents in the room? I've been seeing people walk around with little kids, right? So, I mean, let's just ask this question for any of the parents in the room. Are there any other humans on the face of the planet that you would be willing to sleep two or three hours in the night for? Anybody else? It's like, yep, that's a very short list. Is there any other humans on the planet that you would be willing to endure unsettleable cries from or being pooped on or puked on? Parents, we, we get this, right? Like, like there, there's like nobody on the planet. And yet, you know, just when you're kind of at the end of your rope and you're like, can I bring this thing back to the hospital? Is there a way to trade it in for a puppy? Like, you know, just when you get to the end of that rope, they smile at you and they giggle and you go, okay, let's do it again. Right? I mean, there's, there's something about that that, like, there's something about the love that kind of explodes inside of you towards these little beings that makes you want to set aside all sorts of well being to care for them. In the midst of severe suffering, the Thessalonians kept on serving, they kept on sacrificing, they were motivated by love. And I, and I wonder sometimes about myself is my labor motivated by love? I know my own heart. I, it can be motivated by so many other things. I find myself wanting approval or affirmation. As a pastor, even as a pastor, sometimes it can be as simple as being motivated by a paycheck or respect by, from our peers. And not all those things are necessarily bad, but, but, but they can be a huge distraction from the real work that God is calling us to. Jesus himself modeled for us radical, selfless love. It was God's love for the world that led him to send his son in the first place. Like, selfless love is a sending kind of love. It's that Trinitarian central love with the overflow out of this beautiful familial relationship. It kind of boils up and pours out onto humanity. God's love erupts in passion passion that none would be lost. When was the last time our service for the Lord was, was prompted by good old-fashioned passion? Unabashed love for Jesus that just boils up inside of us, love for his family that just boils up inside of us, that, that God stuff, the Trinitarian fire in the belly, a love that gives itself away. But Paul's got one more. Third, their endurance inspired by hope. Paul breaks the mold with this third phrase. He, instead of talking about work or labor, he, he talks about endurance. The original work, uh, word in the Greek here is this, is this word hypomonem or hypomone, depending upon which version it is. And, and it includes the ideas of like steadfastness and perseverance but it's actually a really fascinating word because its root word is where we get the idea or where it's often translated as abide or remain. Think about Jesus talking to his disciples in John 15, like that calling them to abide in him, to remain in him. That's the root word for endurance. 
And then hypo is a word that we often attach to things that are like where there's been a decrease. Like if I get hypothermia, my, my core temperature goes down. Or if I, take, if I get like a hypodermic needle, it increases something in my bloodstream to allow me to be able to fight back, you know? Hypo is like there's something just there. So you think about like this idea of needing to fight forward to build up the lacking that's there to remain, to try to continue, to try to endure. That's the idea behind endurance. The Thessalonians' ability to remain in Jesus amidst difficult circumstances, to abide in his presence, had gotten, had gotten like a shot in the arm. And that shot in the arm was hope. And specifically, as we, as we read later, hope in the kingly return of Jesus. In the midst of their persecution, in the midst of their trials, they had fought to abide in Christ. And the weapon that they chose to use was the weapon of hope. Now, if living with faith is about having a life that points to the faithful reliability of the invisible God, living with hope is about having a life that is sustained by a confident expectation in the kingly return of Jesus. Our, our determination in the face of suffering, in the face of opposition, is the face of Jesus. It is his face, his returning face, with triumph, with healing in his wings. That, that what Edna was talking about, that glorious day when he will return. That's the fuel for our hope. And when our hope is in him, we will not be disappointed. Frankly, I think all of us have been in a season of endurance. The last number of years, uh, you know, they've taken a toll on humanity. They've taken a toll specifically on the church. And you all have recently walked through some difficult decisions and had to make some painful adjustments. And, and to do that just in order to keep yourself on the mission that God has called you to. And it can be difficult. But one of the things that I love about Park Hill, and I love about your leadership team, I love especially about Evan and Sandy, is just the hope, the belief that God is still moving. God has still got a purpose for this community. God is on the move. Hope is the fuel for endurance. The Thessalonians had walked through severe suffering and they had responded with joy and their endurance had also been fueled by hope. But how does that actually work? Like what does this look like in like practical terms? Is this just putting a smile on your face? I don't think so. I think it's more than that. It's something deeper. How does hope actually fuel endurance? Well, one way of thinking about it is like reading a really long book. Any readers in the room? Any readers? Okay. I'm about to confess something to you guys that you, you might lose a little bit of respect for me on, but I just want to throw this out there. Not that long ago, I was reading a really big book, about 1,200 pages, okay? Um, and, you know, I was getting a couple hundred, few hundred pages in, and I got to this point where, like, there was a character that I really liked in the book, and I'm like, I'm not going to read this book if he's going to die. You know, because 1,200 pages is like an investment of your life. It's like, I'm giving time to this thing. I, I don't want to give all my time to this and then find out at the end that he dies. 
So I did, you know, what any wise person would do. I flipped to the end of the book, right? I know, I know, I know. All you truists out there. But I flipped to the end of the book. And sure enough, like a handful of pages from the back, yep, there was his name. He still made it. So I invested my life. I gave my hours to this work, to this book, right? That, and, and, and that's the idea that's communicating, that's, that's at the center of understanding how hope fuels us. It's like when we look at the end of the story, when we imagine and realize and visualize the coming Jesus, coming as a king, and every knee will bow, and he's got healing in his wings, and he comes to bring his resurrection power to the world, life, hope. It's all going to be healed by him. That gives me hope. And it means if I'm, if I'm stuck 300 pages in and I'm wrestling with a really difficult situation where the character, I'm not sure if he's going to make it or not, I can stick with it because I have hope. And that's the idea. That's the idea of living a life with hope. We will be with him forever. That is the end of our story. So we can keep being who he has called us to be day by day by day. But... This does mean that practically we have to remind ourselves sometimes at the end of the story. So turn to your neighbor and tell him, Jesus, come back. Jesus, come back. And I want to encourage you guys, like, that's not a flippant reminder. And sometimes, maybe in the hardest of times, you need to turn to your neighbor and tell them that. Because that is the fuel of our hope, of our endurance. The Thessalonian church showed the world around them living evidence of a faithful, reliable presence of the invisible God. They, they exampled in faith what it means to depend on the invisible. They sacrificed wholeheartedly with a love for God that was poured out on their community, poured out on their family. It was the genuine deal. It was a real boiling up of Trinitarian love. And they lived Lives sustained by a confident, hope-filled expectation of Jesus' kingly return. This is how the Thessalonians made an impact in the world that God had called them to. And Park Hill, this is how we do it too. This is how we do it too. As I wrap up this morning, I want to leave you all with, uh, with a couple of encouragements and a bit of a challenge. Think of it like two pats on the back and a gentle like kick in the butt. Is that okay? Am I allowed to do that? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, good. First off, first off, well done. As your friends like from the north, as family from the north, sitting back and watching all that God has done in your church these last number of years, I want to say well done. Well done for being a faithful family and a faithful presence in this city. Well done for loving your neighbors well. Well done for a commitment to growth, both in maturity but also in people. Well done for choosing to engage where others have not. Well done for continuing to pursue Jesus with all of your heart. Well done. 
Your message of faithfulness has gotten out. And it's bigger than just the city of San Diego. People are talking about you and they say, look at what God is doing. Look at all the good things. A number of months back, Britt and I, we, we at the end of our gatherings, we'll stand by the door just to say goodbye to people. And, and we had a family that came up and we got talking about stuff and they mentioned something about one of their kids being down here at school. And I was like, oh, hey, we've got a great church down there. You, you, have you ever heard of Park Hill? And it was like the lights came on in their eyes. They're like, we love Park Hill. I was like, man, I wish you were that excited when you're talking about our church. Man, we love Park Hill. They're so, so excited. They're talking about the powerful um, transformation that they had seen in their son and being a part of this community that they'd seen in his life, the ways that you guys are investing, the ways that you're calling forward, the ways that you're encouraging and not giving up. Park Hill, well done. Well done. But second, as a, as a bit of a father in the larger community of churches, I want to encourage you, my friends, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. There's a part of me that just really wishes that all of you could experience what it's like to be in a place where you can send off like some of your favorite people to go do a work somewhere and then watch as that incredible work takes root and just starts to grow. It's not how it always happens. I mean, not every church plant takes root and grows and expands and bears fruit. You guys are bearing fruit. You have been chosen. And when you feel like there is more uphill than down, remember, you have been set apart. When budgets are tight and tough decisions have to be made, don't forget who you are. You are loved by God. This is his church. He is so for you and we are so for you. One of the reasons I love the book of 1 Thessalonians so much is that it's chock full of all this like family language. I mean, Paul, he saw this community at a distance as his family. Family that he loved and believed in. Family that he was cheering for. And even though I don't know most of you in this room, I just want you to know that as a part of your like Portland family, maybe we could be your like crazy Pacific Northwest aunt and uncle or something, um, that we are cheering you on. That we believe in you. And in, in a day and age where, where so much of reality is trying to divide, I want you, we want you to know we are for you. We are with you. We cheer. It might be from a distance, but we cheer for every single win. We grieve for every single loss. We are with you. We're for you. And it's, it's with that I want to turn to, to the little challenge. Because, friends, God, God is doing something unique here in San Diego, but also around our country and around our world. God is on the move. And when, it's, when things are tough, it, it can be easy to kind of like go, whoo, I need to just pull back. 
Or maybe when it's, when it's when you're comfortable. I remember when Britt and I were kind of getting ready to come down here. We were being sent down to, to, to San Diego area to be missionaries. My brother-in-law used to mock us because he was like, great, you're being missionaries to the Garden of Eden. Wow. You know, I mean, seriously, you guys have got a great coastline, beautiful city, perfect weather, except for apparently recently, you guys broke the weather somehow. I don't know how you did that, but, it's, you know. Um, but the need for the gospel and the healing work of Jesus has never been more necessary. Friends, San Diego needs you. They need your family to become the safe place to, to be invited in where the lonely are put in families. They need you. And my challenge to you is to be that people. Just like my long walk so many years ago where I was wrestling with God, trying to figure out, like, you know, why am I here? I want to encourage you. You are here for a reason. God has set you apart. God has done a work, and he is going to continue his good work through this community. These are the times when we need God's voice to break in and remind us of who we are. And I want to call you as kind of like a, like a, like a family member. Be that faith-filled, loving family, friends. Don't forget that God is for you. My wife and I would like to kind of wrap up this time just by praying for you all, if that's okay. Are you guys okay with that? So actually, if you would stand up to your feet, I'm just going to invite you just to open up your hands in front of you. And we want to pray a blessing over you. Again, we acknowledge the fact that like God is our father, but there is kind of a parental nature. And so I just want to invite you. Go ahead and close your eyes. Open up your hands. Spirit, we just invite your presence now to move in our midst. Park Hill, in the name of Jesus, the God King, the Lamb who's coming back to heal, in his name, we bless you. We bless you for the work that he has called you to. We, we bless you to be his presence, his light, in the communities that you love and serve, whether it's in school or workplace or neighborhood, we bless you to go to be full of his life, full of his hope, to live as evidence, living evidence of the invisible God that loves his people but also loves this city. We bless you in the name of Jesus to go and be his hands and be his feet. We bless you to prayerfully and sometimes in tears plead for your neighborhoods and your workplaces. We bless you with the strength and the endurance to stand when things are hard, 
to keep going when you feel like giving up. We, we bless you in the name of Jesus to walk in the strength that he provides. We bless you in his powerful and good name to go and be the sons and daughters that your father has always dreamed that you would be. We, we bless you with visions. We bless you with prophecy. We bless you with new things, new songs, new ideas. We bless you with new communities. May, may those communities multiply all around this city. We bless you with impact. Would it be said of this community that your voice is ringing out everywhere? That people everywhere are hearing the good news of Jesus because of the faithfulness of this beautiful family. Jesus, I just sense from you there's some standing in this room that need a touch from you. Jesus, that they need to know that you are their good father. So Lord, I know that you know every single heart in this room. You know what they need to hear from you, what they just need whispered in their ear. So I just pray, Lord, before they leave this building today that they would hear an identity over who they are. Lord, I pray that they would grab a hold of the identity that they are a daughter and a son of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I pray that they would know the truest identity, not the world's, but your identity over who they are. Lord, and I pray for this younger generation to grab a hold of you even more strongly. Jesus, that they, as they have a lot more voices coming in, I pray that they'd surround themselves with seasoned people, people that have walked and had had to rely on you day after day. Lord, would you bless them? Jesus, I pray you bless this community with faith. As Peter had to ask the Lord, like at one point when he was like, where would I go? But I pray that everyone would ask and know there's nowhere else to go but you. So Jesus, in your power and in your authority, Lord, we ask that you'd walk with these people out the doors today to their lives, their community, but that they would go with you in a way that they maybe have needed that encouragement. So Jesus, we love you. We want to follow you. We lock our eyes on you, Jesus, and so we go forth. So Lord, send these people forward in your name. Amen.